0: Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I am Samantha, the Drug Free Communities Grant Coordinator, and your host for today. On this episode, I am joined by Julia Sherman. Julia is the coordinator for the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project. In Wisconsin, alcohol control is primarily a municipal issue. The Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project provides training, tools, and technical assistance to municipalities, law enforcement, public health, and community groups working to improve the alcohol environment and reduce alcohol related problems. Julia shares with us what alcohol culture is and how Wisconsin's has shifted over the years. We also talk about pandemic drinking, a term we've all heard tossed around these past several months. She shares some personal experiences and what individuals and community coalitions like Breakwater can do to help prevent underage drinking and binge drinking in our communities. I hope you enjoy this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. This helps make it easier for others to find our show, and by subscribing, you'll never miss a new episode. Julia is up next.
1: Julia, welcome to the show. Would you mind introducing yourself for our listeners? I'm Julia Sherman, I am the coordinator of the Wisconsin Alcohol Policy Project that's at the University of Wisconsin Law School. A lot of people don't realize that Wisconsin lacks a great deal of the infrastructure that other states have. Um, And so this project is funded by the Wisconsin Department of Health Services to help advise coalitions, communities, local leaders, local law enforcement on the policies and practices that can help prevent and reduce inappropriate, illegal and excessive drinking.
0: Why don't we start by just explaining what is alcohol culture and how do you get one? Well,
1: actually, every place, every country, every group of people has an alcohol culture. In Wisconsin, We generally use that term to refer to this amalgam of our history and our social norms. And then also the built environment that we've created that has a huge unintentional impact on us. But often we refer to our history as being the foundation of our alcohol culture. But we're really not talking about Our history. What we're talking about is this commercialized nostalgia that has been shaped in no small part by the alcohol industry that um, paints a very different picture of Wisconsin than the one that actually occurred. You know, Wisconsin was just as torn as the rest of the nation over alcohol in the 19th and 20th, early 20th centuries. And people don't often realize that we had a thriving temperance movement in this state before we had a commercial brewery. Oh, wow. Years before we had a commercial brewery. Um, I know folks in Walworth County that have lived there that don't realize Walworth County was created as a dry county. And it's named after an temperance leader from the East Coast who never set foot out here. Two, two brothers who were... Um, In the temperance movement, petitioned our territorial legislature to create it as a dry county, Walworth, and named it after this gentleman in his honor. The oldest building, and it still stands, was Temperance House. It wasn't about prohibition. It was about temperance. And it actually operated as an alcohol-free stagecoach stop for a number of years. Yeah. I mean, who knew about that, right? Yeah. What I found most interesting was that actually in the 19th century, we had what some legal scholars call the first dram shop law in the nation. If you wanted to open a bar in Wisconsin under what was called um, the Mills Act, you, uh, a tavern owner had to post a $500 bond. Now, that, think about 1849 and $500. Bucks. That's a big chunk of money in those days and the purpose of that was to support the families of the men that you would turn into habitual drunkards interesting and actually in the following year in Kenosha there was a trial about it and a woman recovered the maximum amount you could recover 100 bucks still nothing to laugh at in 1850 because um, this tavern the jury found this tavern had turned her husband into incapable of supporting the family. I think it was probably at least as much a judgment on, we don't want to have to support these people. But at the same time, it was a recognition early in our history that alcohol has negative consequences and can be an addictive substance. What I found truly stunning was that by the time Wisconsin voted on prohibition, 75% of the land, and 44% of the population had already voted itself dry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, here's where it comes down, and, and, and you can see how history could get distorted, is that it was in those southern areas in the Milwaukee metro area, basically, where there had been a huge influx of uh, immigrants from Germany and Italy and Ireland um, that they, they did not want prohibition and they were not going to vote themselves try. Um, but you can also see that how since beer production was also based on there, that in fact, those are the folks that have been churning out the history and the discussion of it. And, you know, it comes down to a good old fashioned Milwaukee versus the rest of the state situation. (laughs) And gosh, that never happens, right? Never. Never happens. But the history, you know, it's interesting, but it's been sort of commercialized. It's actually become very transactional in the long run is that people said, well, this is what Wisconsin is, ignoring the fact that it really wasn't what a big chunk of Wisconsin was, and that the whole issue of German immigration, you know, you're German down here. Well, that just doesn't wash because there are states that have equal or even a greater percentage of people of German heritage in those states, and they don't have our drinking problem or our drinking culture. And so numerous sociologists and even a former state historian has said that's just bunk. It's an excuse. It's not a reason. But the myth continues. So how
0: would you describe our our Wisconsin's alcohol culture as it lives
1: and breathes today? Hostile. Um, Because... We're looking for balance. I mean, if there are any prohibitionists in Wisconsin, I have not met them. (laughs) Uh, Actually, during the past 20 years that I've worked in alcohol policy, the only prohibitionists that I have met have been um, some extremely elderly ladies at the Women's Christian Temperance Union in Evanston, Illinois. Um, So we don't have any in-state to my knowledge, most people are simply looking for moderation. But over time, people have used this alcohol culture. So the term became, people refer to it as if it was a rock that fell on us, you know, this huge asteroid from out of state that just fell down and it's our alcohol culture and it can't be changed. And that's, actually rubbish. I mean, when you think about it, um, even Miller has moved their headquarters to Illinois. They're Bears fans. I mean, and yet people talk about it as Brew City, USA, long after Laverne and Shirley and the Shots Brewery TV ads have, have have all faded from everyone's memory, even in reruns. People still hold on to that image. And some of the commercial aspects of um, beer production and, and sales, they actively try to keep this going. Um, they sponsored books that are nostalgia f- w- uh, fueled with our, um, through our historical society. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, First Amendment's a glorious thing. But it does distort how we perceive our alcohol environment. And I say hostile because it is hostile to people that want to drink moderately or for whatever reason, just don't want to drink at all. Um, I worked on alcohol control in a few other states before I returned home here to Wisconsin to work on it here. And one of the things that I've heard is that it's really hard to maintain your sobriety in Wisconsin. Because everywhere you go, alcohol is advertised and consumed and our norms have its expectation. And the issue with social norms is that we often don't realize what they are until we leave the state. You know, it's like what they say, the fish doesn't realize he's swimming in a polluted stream because he's in the polluted stream. Um, I heard one story from a colleague um, who had been working on a coalition in her community here, and she and her husband moved to the East Coast. They wanted to get to know their neighbors, so they sort of threw an open door, please just come and meet our kids sort of event, and tagged it around uh, one of their children's parties. And they did what good Wisconsin residents, or at least current Wisconsin residents, would do, and they had a bar it turns out they found out later they were the talk of the neighborhood for months because who has alcohol served at a get to know our kids kind of event. <laughs> it was totally outside the social norms of that community. And even, you know, it raised eyebrows. And I, I heard from other people. Um, I mentioned before we started talking, my son used to live in Anchorage, Alaska. The first time he was with his kids and he stopped to get a six pack of beer, somebody yelled at him, get those kids out of here, because it is illegal for anybody under age 21 to even set foot in a location that sells alcohol. Well, that's an adjustment. Exactly. And as soon as he, you know, yeah, it was it wasn't that he wanted to give his kids who were toddlers at the time alcohol. It was yo, know, you're going to the PDQ, you fill the tank and you go in. no. If you're going to a liquor store in, or any place that's selling alcohol, you do not take your children in in that state. And that sort of started his thinking and I you know we hear these stories from other people about they don't realize how distorted our alcohol culture is and how hostile it can be to people that want to drink moderately. And that actually comes from aspects of our built environment. People in public health are now talking about the impact the built environment has on us. If you can't buy fruits and vegetables at your grocery store, you can't eat them. If there aren't safe places to walk off the highway, it's difficult to tell people to walk to a local park or walk for exercise. And in Wisconsin, if you can't go to the end of the block, without finding a place to buy alcohol or consume alcohol, you will think that's something you do. We've actually got evolving research in this field. It really wasn't until the 1980s that we began to see research um, and not many members of local city council, you know, read JAMA on a regular basis. Uh, So it's taken years for that research to trickle down, but now we know that a higher number of alcohol outlets in a confined area, like a cluster, or just a general over-concentration of alcohol outlets, will increase the rates of alcohol-fueled disorder and crime. The next generation of research is showing that at some point when you have an over-concentration of alcohol outlet, it stops filling a need within the community and it begins fueling the drinking. People will drink more in that area, even when they don't really need to or want to, because it's just there. There's several aspects to that. That's still evolving research. In Wisconsin, unintentionally, we have an extraordinarily high number of alcohol outlets per person. In most States. And most states license differently from one another. You know, Congress gave it back to us with the 21st Amendment. And we, our state legislators everywhere got pretty creative. So some states have 17 kinds of licenses, and we basically have two. But by almost any standard, we have a high number, higher number than, our, than other states. Here's an example, on average, and of course there is no average state in Wisconsin. We haven't, we haven't admitted the state named average yet, mm-hmm. but it's about one alcohol outlet for every 1500 people. And our quota as such for bars, locations, on-premises locations that sell beer, wine, and spirits is 500 per person. And that doesn't even count the grocery stores, the convenience stores, the big box stores that are selling alcohol. It's not a plan anybody created. It is an unintentional consequence of thinking that we now know is flawed and has been supplanted by other thinking. But unlike some other states, once awarded an alcohol license, can only be non-renewed or revoked for cause. So even communities that know they've gotten themselves unintentionally into a bit of a pickle, they have too many alcohol licenses in a small area, it is causing higher rates of, of disorder in that area. But that will occur even if all the licensees obey the law which means you don't have grounds. Um, One state in the South about eight years ago just decided they had too many alcohol licenses and they non-renewed 20% of their licenses. I mean, can you imagine what would happen in Wisconsin if people tried to do that? But at the same token, they had a state authority that had the ability to do that. Uh, The other feature of our, uh, you know, it was unintentional. But one of the other features is that it's done locally here. Now, sometimes that's a barrier, but it's also an increasing number of people's opinion. It's a significant opportunity because what we found in other states is that it's very hard on a statewide level to get the alcohol, um alcohol control boards, or however it's named um, to take action, any sort of action to reduce excessive drinking. But within Wisconsin, we're lucky because we have such direct contact with our city councilmen, our village trustees, we can say, hey, don't do this. Or we need to think about x or y. Or we see the increase in police costs on our property tax bill. And the only thing that we're more protective of, perhaps, than than the brewing industry, is we're concerned about our property taxes in Wisconsin. (laughs) It's a lively debate every year. And we will see that go up as a result of alcohol-related crime and disorder. And we hear the stories about the cities that have not controlled the number of alcohol outlets and how they are struggling with the cost of alcohol-related disorder in their communities. I mean, the stories about Madison and State Street, they've been in every newspaper, on every TV station in this state, and it costs the residents of Madison over the years probably millions of dollars in police costs. It's all, but now we know it's preventable, so they can serve as an object lesson for other parts of the state
0: how does that relate back to, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not a control state, right? So everything filters down to the local level and you have coordinators and planners in the community level. And sometimes it seems like alcohol outlets or increasing. The number of outlets is viewed as an economic opportunity, or that's the argument, right? Is if we allow this business to open or we approve an alcohol, license for this location. It's an economic opportunity that will bring in money and help support the local economy. How does that balance with increased number of outlets, increased police costs, um, and increased unintentional consequences related to drinking, whether it's excessive drinking by adults or underage drinking?
1: Good question. Part of it is the order in which we learned these things. Back in the 1980s and even into the 90s, and I'm told in some communities yet today, people view more alcohol as an ec- economic development. Um, the the corollary to that is that some places in the last economic downturn back in 2007, 8, 9, they allowed a lot of convenience stores that had previously not sold alcohol to sell it, thinking it would help them improve their cash flow. That's because one side of the equation was well known. You can make money selling alcohol in Wisconsin. It's only been in very recent years, within the last 10 years, that the other side of the equation and the economic consequences at the local level will be X, Y, and Z. Um, They weren't known. What we're seeing now is communities, public health, working with local law enforcement, do things like map where the alcohol outlets are in town. And police, more and more police departments through their GIS coding are able, because a lot of local police departments, they actually have, you know, the coordinates on incidents in their police car now they can that that's automatically registered where they were they can do overlays of where there's alcohol related crime and disorder one of the things that we're having trouble doing and it's not so much trouble it's that it takes time is ramping up our system to actually capture the data that has been out there for years that we've never bothered to collect. Or if we collected it, we never compiled it. And so we saw the economic side, I don't want to say pay off, but we saw it generate a few jobs, rarely family supporting jobs. We saw lights go on and doors opened. But the downside is down also downstream. And it's disconnected. And then the third thing is, is that it is often impossible to tie it back to a specific outlet, one, because it doesn't relate to a specific outlet, or two, because it's not the data that we've been collecting in Wisconsin. So there was a logical disconnect. It's totally unintentional, but it's very real. People and local elected officials are now becoming more aware of the drink direct causal relationship between too many places that sell and serve alcohol and the cost in the local budget. Let me give you an example. We do not collect in Wisconsin, our police do not collect in Wisconsin whether an incident is alcohol-related. Now, police tell me that virtually all all domestic violence has an alcohol-related component a significant number of sexual assaults, at least either the perpetrator was intoxicated, but sadly also the victim is often also intoxicated. That data isn't captured in Wisconsin. We don't ask the question. As a result, local elected leaders don't know the answer. Um, Something that I just began to do informally, and now I've sort of baked it into questions I ask, is that I would ask, and if I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of local elected officials, the police chief almost always shows up, and I'll say, Chief, how many of your calls for service are alcohol-related? I've never had anyone in Wisconsin say less than 50%. I've had some people say 80 or 90%, and let me tell you, I'm surprised somebody has not hurt themselves with the head snap that it is because local elected, well, they haven't had any reason to connect the extra expenses for um, local policing, just for the public health and safety of the community and the growing number of alcohol outlets in the area. Just including that sort of data on our police reports and our EMS runs would help communities get a better sense of this. We've been programmed in many ways to think that the real problem is drunk driving. If you woke anybody up in this state out of a dead sleep and said to them, what's the biggest alcohol problem in the state? They would probably say drunk driving. Mm -hmm. It happens in public. You hear about it on the news. Um, You see You see people stumbling out of an establishment that really shouldn't be driving, but are. It's a logical reaction. But in fact, twice as many people die each year in Wisconsin as a result of alcohol-related falls. Those don't make the front page. No, Those are private tragedies. And because it's a fall, it may not even be listed as an alcohol-related incident. So that's one example. Another example is the place of last drink. We learned a few years ago that there was a pilot program in Minnesota, Twin Cities, right on our border, where they were collecting data on where people received um, uh, drunk driving tickets, DUI over there, uh, were drinking. And then they were using that data to help reduce overserving. I thought that was just a gym dandy idea. And I reached out to a, a colleague who is a retired chief of police in Wisconsin and has been a great help to me over the years and said, wouldn't it be great if we collected this data? He emailed me back a form he scanned that's had the circle on the drunk driving forms uh, that we use in Wisconsin. This was a form called the um, AP... Um, the SP four hundred five that said, "Where have you been drinking?" And he circled that <laughs> and wrote on the form, "Do you mean this?" We've been collecting the data for over twenty years, and we just never compiled it. So that's one thing we've been working on. With a couple t- uh, communities, have been compiling this place of last drink data, not to embarrass anyone or to take away their license, but simply to compile it and let people know. Somehow, in your establishment, you have an overserving problem. People are driving away. What can we do about this? And it's worked very well because it was also true that the licensees didn't know. I mean, the nature of drunk driving is they get in and they drive away, right? Yeah. You couldn't expect, but they needed to do a better job. Um, watching it, it, it. There were a variety of reasons, but we've learned a great deal by compiling this data. But this is another indication that not gathering this data in Wisconsin really hampered our ability to improve the alcohol environment. To my knowledge, not a single licensee has ever thrown out somebody that said, hey, I've got data here that shows you you have an overserving problem in your establishment. Uh, the one community that didn't get a lot of cooperation um, suspended that licensee for a couple of days, and when the problem didn't get better, they enacted um, some ordinances that, shall we say, will will support more appropriate action within that establishment. When you don't know there's a problem, you can't remedy it. So, in many ways, our willful blindness, statistical blindness in this area has really held us back. But a lot of people are looking at this and are taking steps locally, like the Place of Last Drink compilation. And we're working with the um, epidemiologist at um, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services to see what we can do to gather this other information that we need so that we can explain to people and individuals will know from science-based statistical analysis that this is the cost of overconsumption in your community. Give you an idea of how sophisticated this is elsewhere. I read about, I've not seen it, but I read about a program within Los Angeles County where they can tell you exactly how many more of X and Y crime there will be if the California Alcohol Beverage Control Board approves a license at a given location. Now, obviously they have a much larger population base than any place in Wisconsin. And they have a state alcohol beverage control board that supports this sort of thing. It is not an analogous situation, but that gives you an idea of how far the statistical analysis has progressed and how we can benefit just by asking the questions on the state level here in Wisconsin and making that data available to communities.
0: I wanna circle back a little bit to something you said because I remember the first time I read it or saw it, it really surprised me. And I find that as I keep having conversations about alcohol policy, the alcohol environment, it keeps surprising people who didn't realize it before. And that is that an increased number of outlets leads to increased alcohol-related crime. Even if all of the outlets, bar, restaurant, retailer, convenience yeah. store, follow all the regulation and rules. So even if they are perfectly compliant with everything they're supposed to be doing, the local ordinances, the state or federal laws, there's still an increase in alcohol-related calls for service, health effects, all of that. And ACEs. Of stuff. And adverse
1: adverse childhood experiences. That's the most recent addition to that sort of list of horribles. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is. And once again, it gets back to the issue of if alcohol is overly available, we will consume it. Now, there are other factors there. A high level of competition, that probably helps keep the price low. Um, Even with Wisconsin's minimum markup law, our low tax rate, I see a lot of drink specials. I see a lot of things that that are commercially fueled that will encourage consumption and likely overconsumption. That's a factor of competition. If you have to undercut the competition, you will come up with creative ways to get people in the door. By over-licensing, we kind of make it harder on our licensees um, to stay in business, and we encourage this behavior that leads to more problems, which is terrible, but it is the way, you know, it's Econ 10. The whys of it, nobody's really certain we haven't identified those variables. When the CDC issued their, well, let me backtrack. The CDC issued a number of years ago the community guide that said, hey, Increasing out number of outlets will increase alcohol related crime and disorder, even if everybody obeys the law. So watch your license, you watch the number of outlets you license. Everybody asks, how do you measure them? It wasn't until two years ago that the CDC provided guide that provided three ways of measuring them. And several communities in Wisconsin have undertaken that exercise to their credit. But They haven't provided the hard cutoff numbers yet. And until we get the limits, it's going to be very challenging. Now, in Wisconsin, I'm willing to lay money that many, many communities are already over whatever line the CDC is going to set. But we don't know that yet. Um, And they say that at this point, the number of variables is so great they are still working to develop a method that can appropriately identify this. For example, think about this. The nice little uh, uh, restaurant and TAP that's down about a block and a half away from me, they get the same license as a club in, uh, down to, on State Street that has probably close to 500 to 750 graduates and undergraduate students in it on any weekend night when kids are on campus, okay? It's the same license. They each count as one. And so until you can deal with a variable like that, it's going to be difficult to come up with a magic number. Now, within a community, people are starting to think about this. One of the things that um, uh, uh, a community called me about last week was, what about a minimum distance between outlets? By definition, that's going to limit the number of outlets in a community because eventually you're going to run out of community. <laughs> I know of at least one community that's put that restriction on off-premises licensees. We know that different kinds of problems will come from different outlets, so there's really going to be a real parsing of this issue and a greater reliance on research as Wisconsin moves forward on this. But we do know one thing for certain. You cannot license yourself out of outlet density. There's no creative way to say, we'll do more, but we'll also do X or Y. Those efforts have failed. Actually, I would say some of them have actually backfired. You can't do it at some point you have to say this is what our community can support and this will support our community our vision of what our community should be i was on the phone this week with a chief of police and that community has made they want to be a family-friendly community and we were talking about you know how do you achieve that with alcohol licenses i'd it's going to be an issue, but it's far from an unsolvable issue. It's not irreconcilable.
0: I want to touch base a little bit before we kind of shift into the pandemic drinking, which is now right. a real thing. Um, yes, it is. How do temporary use permits fit into all of this? Because as you had mentioned kind of in the opening, that part, alcohol is kind of connected to everything in Wisconsin. Church fundraisers have a beer tent there's a beer stand at the pumpkin patch. There's festivals. I mean, in Oshkosh alone, there's how many festivals that have <laughs> alcohol and volunteer servers and all of that kind of thing widely available, which is prone to issue for a number of reasons. Yes. Um, but how, how do temporary use permits play into the bigger picture of outlet density and licensing and alcohol-related calls for concern?
1: There's actually been research on these festivals. And in Wisconsin, what they call Class B temporary licenses, the nickname that you will hear used in most village boards and city councils is picnic license. They are limited to civic organizations, veterans groups, and the Chamber of Commerce. Some time ago, close to 10 years ago, the University of Minnesota's Alcohol Epidemiology Program, led by Tracy Toomey, who is a Midwesterner as well, identified the two problems. There were two very specific problems that those festivals created, and it was underage drinking and overconsumption. And they then studied how you could go about what were the best ways to control that to reduce those problems at these events, and they developed a list of best practices. The good people in La Crosse, working from a grant from the Medical College of Wisconsin, their Healthier Wisconsin Project uh, Foundation at um, MCW, they tested that out by going to a range of festivals within La Crosse County, talking to them about after surveying it, what the best practices they could adopt, encouraging them, providing training on it. And then they went back and reassessed those festivals later. And we learned a lot. It's one of the few situations where we actually have Wisconsin-based research. So nobody can say, well, that won't work here because this is exactly how it works here. What we learned is those festivals Is that the people that run them are really community volunteers. There's a lot of turnover, and their goal is to help the community. A lot of them operate based on how it was operated before. And so, you know, they get a little handbook. Sometimes it's written, sometimes it's not written. It's just, you know, the past president sitting down with the current president and talking it through how they operated the beer tent the year before. Um, The best way to do it is that the community adopt a set of alcohol license conditions that you tell them what the best practices are and you put it on the alcohol license. Because when required, these wonderful, solid citizens within the community will do it. When not required, the compliance is not as likely. It becomes a, well, you can do this. But people want to pass on a solid festival that will, in fact, raise money for the community. Because most of the cases, the money raised at those events, they go to the groups like scouting and 4-H and, and the, the, the sports at the high school, They're basically community-supporting events. And so by putting it on the license, you support them in their goal and you want you help them do a good job of the job they want to do we worked with the folks in lacrosse and we created it's a page on the my website for the wisconsin alcohol policy project it's not technically my website but the (laughs) project's website that provides a checklist on all of these things and they're really pretty straightforward Have a perimeter around the beer tent so you keep everybody there so people can't wander on and off. Use brace um, wristbands and a hand stamp to identify those people that can buy alcohol. Perhaps most importantly, don't let your servers drink until they're done. You know, I've been to a couple festivals where I was in much better shape than the person that was serving at the beer tent sadly. Don't you know, just hold off till you're done with your shift. Um things like that, most of them don't cost a great deal of money and they dramatically reduce the likelihood that someone would be overserved or that the alcohol would fall into the hands of kids. The other thing that research in other states has found is that when you do these things, you make it a more enjoyable event for everyone and your attendance increases. There were a number of festivals in the um, mid-aughts you know, the 2003, four and five that really tried to rely on alcohol sales and cheap alcohol to draw people in. And what they found was, A, it increased the cost for police guidance and B, it drove the families away. And the families are the ones that are on the rides, sticking around for dinner and Eating that fair food that's you know going to kill us all, <laughs> but it tastes great. But you know the people they really wanted they were unintentionally driving away. So chances are good that if you follow these, you will reduce your alcohol consumption, you will reduce the overall uh, underage drinking associated with this, and increase your attendance, which may actually increase your alcohol sales gross. Well decreasing the amount any given person drinks that's good for the community and it's good for the people that live in the community
0: now we're going to switch gears a little bit now that we kind of have an understanding of alcohol culture what it is what components all kind of come together to shape it and shape the community's relationship with alcohol talk to me about pandemic drinking it's a headline it's a it's a clickbait little snippet out there. We see it all over social media, all news stories every week, at least about a new study related to pandemic drinking or a new report related to pandemic drinking. What is
1: it and why
0: is it such a big problem?
1: Well, first we have to realize that we're talking about really global drinking. And so it's going to be a headline because it's one of the few issues that we're all sharing at the same time. And I would say suffering from At the same time, globally, and I don't often get to say this in alcohol policy, the issue is the shift from the on premises and commercially commercial drinking to off premises drinking. We knew that at the beginning of the pandemic, people were buying immense amounts of alcohol, but we didn't know whether you know people were stocking up for with six months worth, or whether or not they would drink at all in a relatively compressed period of time. Sadly, we know that answer now. We know that people are drinking at home. And there has been some concern because in your home environment, you don't worry about getting there or home. You don't have anybody measuring it, even though people may have drink specials and things like that. To make a profit you can't serve unlimited amounts of alcohol. At home you're working with a wine glass that's probably the size of a bathtub <laughs> and you know you're filling it. It's also easy, you know, people are losing track of what day of the week it is. So many people are working from home. It's easy to fall into the habit of I'm going to call my girlfriend at 5:30 cuz we're both done for the day and share a glass of wine. We would not I would not stop at a bar every day of the week. I mean, it just would not, A, it would be a very expensive habit, but beyond that, I just wouldn't do it yet. I will, you know, it it was pretty easy to say, wait a minute, I need to sub this out and maybe include a ginger ale every now and then or some fruit juice or things I would normally drink because I'm drinking five days a week now and you didn't intend to. It's just easy to slip into that habit. We saw in some other nations they adopted controls that were different but also addressed the non-commercial drinking, the social drinking. Um, perhaps the most what people would consider draconian would be South Africa that actually banned the sale and transportation of alcohol for several months when this broke out. It did in fact help you know, keep the pandemic under control number of other countries um, had more limited bans. Um, Thailand, India had 30-day bans on alcohol sales. Now, the reason is obviously is that alcohol reduces our inhibitions. That's part of the reason that drinking in social or non-commercial, if you wanna look at it that way, situations, it's easy to slip into overconsumption um, because it reduces your inhibitions. It may have something to do with people calling alcohol a social lubricant, mm-hmm. that you know, you're know you just more relaxed. Um, in the bars, the issue was not only the alcohol, it was the context. It, you have something that reduces your inhibitions and people are packed in there. And if they were wear, wearing masks, they disappeared pretty quickly. So you had a bunch of people packed into a small area and then the masks came off. OK, so it really wasn't as much about the alcohol as it was the context of the drinking. And you will notice in places where they had loose mask restrictions and they didn't close the bars, um, it you've seen higher rates of um, uh, coronavirus in those areas. And that's regrettable. Um, that's not an excuse to drink excessively at home. <laughs> Um, I find it interesting that some states are, are reducing the hours that alcohol can be sold or they're reducing the hours that their bars can be open. Um, you'll see New York, they didn't ban alcohol sales, but they did reduce the hours that they could be open. Same principle there. You, you know, okay, you can go and have an alcohol beverage if you're age 21 and that you, but you're going to have to cut it short. That's to keep the context under control. So you have to remember those, some of those restrictions are really not about the alcohol. It's about the context and really are for our benefit. We do need to be aware of how much we're drinking at home just because it is so gosh darn easy. I actually went out and bought myself a little measuring cup because yes i will admit it my my wine glasses are probably you know larger than the serving and when i measured out what is a standard serving according you know to the guidelines and put it in the wine glasses, like okay i needed to know this you know i can tell you though you start measuring your friend's alcohol in wisconsin you will find out who really likes you pretty quickly Uh, but you're doing it for their benefit and you can start by doing it for your own benefit. It's not, you know, beer in cans and bottles, is automatically measured. It's distilled spirits and wine. It's easy to drink more than we realize we're drinking. Sure. A little vigilance at home, isn't going to hurt any of us.
0: What about the expansion of click and collect or home delivery or (sighs) curbside cocktails and the alcohol to go, um, that's become more available with the stay at home orders and closing of restaurants and bars for
1: dine-in service. Great question. For clarity, let me be clear. Cocktails to go in Wisconsin is still illegal. If you're, and I get calls about this and I refer them to the sheriff or local police as appropriate. It is illegal to sell someone from a licensed premises a pre-mixed drink to go. It is legal to sell them a, um, your, your Bloody Mary mix with a stalk of celery and a little bottle of vodka like you'd get on an airplane. That's a kit. I saw a lot of margarita kits around Cinco de Mayo. That's totally and completely legal. Alcohol delivery is illegal in this state. Now, if you go into a licensed premises, if I were to go into a place that sold alcohol, like um, um, Target, and bought alcohol there, or or my local liquor liquor store, there's a couple here in, in, in beautiful Middleton, Wisconsin, and bought alcohol there. While I was on the premises. I told him what I wanted. I handed him my credit card and said, can you bring it over and leave it at my door? That would be legal. In Wisconsin, the purchase of alcohol must still take place face-to-face and on the licensed premises. That has not changed. That's why when you buy that kit that includes the little bottle of margarita, you know, the little bottle of, of tequila or vodka or whatever, you need to go in and purchase it. You can't purchase it over the phone. What is illegal in Wisconsin is for me to either call the local license, the store, and say, Harry, I want to buy this, that, and the other. Bring it over. Because then the sale, even if I gave him my credit card and it was face-to-face, it didn't take place on the licensed premises. It also would be illegal for me to call Target in Madison that has sells alcohol they have what's called a third party delivery service they have another entity it's named shipped it's all over the country this is not special to wisconsin but ship cannot legally bring me alcohol that i have purchased over the phone we don't have phone sales or internet sales of alcohol in wisconsin we do have internet you can purchase wine from out of state retailers that's a whole different thing i don't want you to get 100 calls telling you no no i buy wine that way. Sure. That's different. I'm talking about something that's bottled and ready for a retail sale at a retailer in Wisconsin. You can't order it over the uh, over online and then have it delivered to your home. It must be purchased in the licensed premises. To that end, a number of licensees extended their licensed premises out into a parking lot to capture spaces so that they could sell alcohol on the licensed premises. We found that when we surveyed a location, and I shouldn't say we, it was volunteers in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, checked the, volunteer, the compliance with a voluntary agreement a local retailer had made. They were gonna do this, that, and a whole bunch of things. There was less than 50% compliance with all what they'd voluntarily said. That tracked with a survey that volunteers had done with a similar retailer in Boone County, Kentucky, that they had also um, double checked the, what the store had said they would do in that, you know when they did click and collect alcohol sales. They'd check for the ID. They'd take the license plate. There was a whole laundry list of things they said they'd do. And in Boone County, the volunteers there said they did less than 50% as well. That tracked with my personal experience, which was when I asked uh, one retailer what they would do. This was before it began in Wisconsin. If they got an order over the phone or online for 12 pizzas and 236 packs of Keystone Light, and the driver was over 21 and everyone else in the car was wearing a high school letter jacket. And I was told that was a legal sale. And that worried me because it may have been, I don't think it was a legal sale. I had strong reason to believe in that hypothetical that this was a straw buyer and that underage drinking would follow. Um, And so that tracks that maybe we needed to put some controls on this. Not so much uh, that intoxicated people will be sold to, but there's a real risk that alcohol will get into the hands of underage youth this way. And so a couple of communities adopted great ordinances on this that put in a lot of restrictions and still allow click and click to go forward. Even if you don't adopt the ordinance and you choose not to extend your license premises, someone who really wants a bottle of Chardonnay with their groceries, all they have to do is go to the service desk. You know, you can work your ways around this. Most of the people that are not able to come into the store either because they've got six, you know, two children sleeping in the back seat or they have a mobility issue they're not buying a lot of alcohol. They may be buying a bottle or two. You know, they just, this is not the group I am worried about, but we do have to establish rules that cover everyone and communities are best protected by a set of guidelines that make sure that the individual in the car is the individual who purchased it. That in fact, the credit card matches the name on the order that the individual has produced an ID that says he's over 21, that we secured the video that shows the license plate of the car. So if something, God forbid happens, we can track it back and that they maintain this video for 30 days. These are not extraordinary requirements. Now I would point out that I have heard that we are going to have bills that allow third-party delivery and cocktails to go introduced in our next legislative session. The alcohol industry is pushing for this throughout the nation. We're not special here in Wisconsin. This is happening everywhere. And we are all very concerned about this expansion in the availability of alcohol, that it will increase drinking. In states where alcohol misuse, excessive drinking isn't an issue, I'm very worried about it in Wisconsin because we already have a serious issue. We have a, unlike many states, we have a serious alcohol abuse, excessive drinking issue among our senior citizens. And they're the people that will likely take advantage of this service. We need to be aware of that. We need to engage both families and pharmacies and our healthcare professionals because many of them are drinking while they're taking medications that are contraindicated for alcohol and that's where a lot of those alcohol related falls are coming into play we're not disrespecting our elders we are cherishing them when we make sure that if they can drink they are drinking in moderation and that they're not unintentionally harming themselves by drinking when somebody forgot to tell them that they shouldn't drink while they are taking medication A, B, and C. So we have a lot to benefit from. The wisdom and just presence of our elders, the safety of our children and the health and safety of everybody in the state by looking carefully any proposal that comes in that allows alcohol delivery and alcohol delivery by a third party and connected to the retailer and by Cocktails to Go.
0: One last question before I let you go. You had mentioned that in the beginning of the pandemic response, we saw people buying mass amounts of alcohol. And we know that those numbers are still up. And people are drinking it in a short, compressed amount of time. They're not stockpiling it for a rainy day. So the amount of alcohol in the home is increased. Has there been any early research done or anything that shows how that is affecting youth? Is there more underage drinking happening because there's more access to alcohol in the home? Do we know that? We
1: don't know that, but we know that we have reasonable grounds to be concerned about it. One of the sad consequences of the pandemic is a lot of the safety net that would capture both excessive drinking and underage drinking, they're not there. Kids aren't in school. So the school resource officer isn't keeping an eye on the kids that he's been worried about. School social workers are not there. Teachers cannot see, you know, that a child, you know, they're looking at the screen, like, and it's it's a, a detached experience. So that's one reason to be concerned. The we've a number of communities have been very concerned about underage drinking. Because we know we store alcohol casually in Wisconsin and we should not store alcohol casually in this situation. If community co- if community coalitions really want to help keep the amount of underage drinking down, one of the ways they can do that is to provide al- um, refrigerator locks, stick on refrigerator locks. They cost about 20 bucks a piece. Um, for individuals that keep a supply of their alcohol in an unsecured refrigerator. I mean, we're dealing with a situation where we have stress distracted adults that are doing two and sometimes three jobs simultaneously, never a good start. And we have bored kids that are likely unsupervised for a significant portion of the day. I know just by looking out my window that at 2:30 and 3, I see a lot of kids on the streets. Now that's gonna the weather's gonna take care of that to a certain extent. But largely these are kids that are walking around, they're trying to maintain their social distance, but they are bored at this point. And they're gonna go looking and eventually they're gonna stumble on to mom and dad's cash. And we know that children and youth are suggestive. They are creative. They are suggestible. And they may just try things they shouldn't ought to try. And so we are encouraging everyone to please secure your supply of alcohol. It's easier than you realize. Um, You can put a refrigerator lock. You can get a locking cabinet for your home. There are locks you can use to secure alcohol even inside your house so that they're not slipping out the glass doors, their little locks like they get in a store. And you will feel terrible if, God forbid, a tragedy concerns. And this is, this is like getting your kid in an immunization and asking them to wear a mask. This is taking the best care of your child, your teen, that you can. And it's not hard. I got into alcohol control because I lived across the street from a high school for a decade. You cannot imagine what I learned about teenagers and alcohol in that decade, and that's when I bought a locking liquor closet, and I stopped keeping cold beer. Um, and even when my child was in not in that high school, was in you know the elementary school and, and the uh, junior the middle school nearby. The nature of youth is that their impulsivity is there. I'm help I was helping them not make a bad decision by securing my alcohol. And if I can do it, so can other folks. Um, even if you're an empty nester or your kids are little, especially if you live near a location where youth are congregating, a park, a ball field as we move into the winter, an ice hockey ring. Um, if the, you have a lot of kids walking by on the way home and you've got unsecured alcohol on your back porch or your, in your garage, it's time to think about how you could secure it. Just do it for the kids you care about in your life.
0: Is there anything else that you want to share about alcohol culture or pandemic drinking?
1: Yes. Wisconsin is changing. Even in the last 10 years, I have seen people adopt policies and practices they didn't even know existed a decade ago to help prevent and reduce excessive drinking, underage drinking in their community. And almost universally, at some point in the community, when people start talking about, you know, we have we have bartenders that aren't sober, let's have dropped a sober server ordinance, or asking why are we putting alcohol at every convenience store in town As almost universally, at some point in that date, in that debate, someone will say, I honestly thought I was the only person that cared about this. A lot of people that care a great deal about alcohol abuse in Wisconsin have been bullied. Now maybe they haven't really been bullied, but they feel they've been bullied into silence on the issue. If you care about excessive drinking, And underage drinking, you have a lot of company in Wisconsin. Get engaged because just in the past 10 years, I've seen dramatic change. And that change is accelerating.